you know, it's really, really important that people start to realize that 2008 made us talk about the economy as if it was systemic because the real estate crash in 2008 was systemic. But real estate is not systemic. Real estate is highly regional, highly regional. Like Reno and Las Vegas, different markets. Nye County and Clark County, totally different things. And yet 30 minutes away, totally different. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Before we begin this week's show, I'd like to make you an offer, a free 30-minute call with me. We've been doing weekly chats with other real estate investors for months now, and the response has been great, but we're going to change things up a bit and focus. We are buying self-storage facilities. We have a great partner in North Carolina with a great track record of success, a background in construction, and we're partnering up to help him expand his portfolio. If you have an interest in learning more about investing in self-storage, on the active side, on the passive side, whatever your level of interest, we want to talk to you. There's no pitch here. We're not selling a coaching program. This is just a chance for us to network with other investors interested in self-storage. Also, if you're a current self-storage owner, we'd love to chat with you and perhaps have you as a guest on our show. If all that sounds like something you'd be interested in, go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash self-storage call and schedule a call there. I look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. You're listening to the Road to Family Freedom podcast. Our guest this week is our first ever repeat guest. At the, at the time of our first interview, he had purchased seven single-family rentals using the same $70,000. He has since purchased two more. He's purchased a 24-unit apartment building, and he's executing on a couple of flips. Also, in the midst of a global pandemic that has wiped out most of the world's hair, hairdressers and barbers, he still has suspiciously well-coiffed hair. If there's a conspiracy in all this, folks, it starts right there. The truth is out there. Alex Felice, welcome back. Thank you for having family me. Family freedom. Yep, save the best for first and last. Yeah, well, <laughs> not, not last, middle. Not last, middle. Not even middle. <laughs> well, celebration, first uh, and celebration. Yes, yes. So, yes. So this is episode. This will be episode fifty, and you were nice. you were with us way back on episode two. Uh, so before we dig into the details of what's been going on in the world of Alex. Uh, Roughly 18 months ago was the last time we spoke to you. What's, what's the high level of what's been going on with you? Yeah, that was, that was January of 2019. So, or ish, somewhere in there. So I bought uh, another single family. Is that right? No, I think it was actually September of 2018. Of 2018? Yeah. So, okay. Uh, I bought a single family home that put me at eight and you know, the market started changing. Uh, my market started changing, but a lot of markets started changing and the, the inflation and house prices was rampant. And that's because they kept lowering rates, in my opinion. And so the competition got higher, harder. And, you know, I didn't want to, I started to learn the lesson of the lack of scalability of single family homes. So I decided around then that eight was probably enough. 
I was having to pay more for them and they, and I was losing the economies of scale. So I said, let me try my hand at uh, multifamily. It seems like the time to, for that was now. Uh, multifamily homes are a little bit more intense, uh, intensive to buy. They're, they take a little bit more time. They take a lot more resources, a little bit more difficult. Uh, but I bought a 24 unit in June and that's gone fairly well. It's had some troubles. Uh, <clears throat> I believe year one will be our worst year. Uh, we had some a uh, little bit more difficult stabilization than I had anticipated. We had um, some deferred maintenance that I I should have known better. Um, the term for the loan actually co- confused me. I say this incredibly embarrassingly as a commercial lender. Uh, and so, but that, but overall it's gone well. That was in June. In September, I looked at the real estate market in Las Vegas and decided uh, that it was certainly overblown and we were, in my opinion, due for a correction. So I sold my house in November of 2019 in Las Vegas and I moved to Fayetteville, back to Fayetteville where my properties are. Okay. And I wanted to do some flips and I wanted to put it on YouTube. So for the last five months, my goal has been to get better at videography and storytelling on the internet and do some flips. I sold the first one uh, pretty quickly. We got a full price offer first day that closed about three weeks ago now. We made $58,000 on 70,000. So that was nice. I paid my investors some money and I'm starting the second one today, actually. Okay. All right. So we're going to dig, we're going to dig in deeper to all those. That was kind of the high level. Uh, yeah. so you, you stopped You had, you had seven the last time we talked and you bought one more. I was, I was under the impression that you had bought two more, but you only bought one more, correct? I bought one more. Yep. Okay. And you mentioned that, you know, part of the reason that you sort of stopped there was the, the scalability of single family homes. Can you dig sort of dig more into why you stopped? Yeah. Um, well for me, single family homes are appealing when you can use the Fannie Mae loan program when you can get the 30 year debt, the nice fancy debt, but you have to have it on your personal name and you can only get 10. So I was kind of, and I had the, I had my primary mortgage. So I had nine. And so the idea, like how far, I mean, you can buy one more, but prices were up. And so I was like, you know what I look, the universe is going to tell you when it's time to move on. And so the universe to me was telling me it's time to move on. Now I can crunch out one more, but I didn't need the extra 200 bucks a month. Um, I certainly didn't need the extra 60,000 or $70,000 in debt. Um, and what I decided was if, if, if I'm going to start moving on, I need to solve the, I, my opinion is I always need to be solving the biggest possible problem that I can. And so the extra $200 wasn't the problem that I, you know, that wasn't solving the problem I needed to solve and getting one extra leaves me with, well, what are you going to do next? And so the, what next problem was apparent and that's where, um, you know, you can't get more than 10. And I didn't want to, if you're going to get commercial loans, you might as well get a whole bunch of units because getting commercial loans at 75 grand, no bank wants to do that. So it was, it became apparent that I needed to go bigger. Uh, and then this 24 unit um, came upon us. And so I moved forward with ferocity. <laughs> well, and to be fair, uh, what I learned was 24 is too small. So uh, that solved my problem in some ways, but really I need to be closer to like a hundred units at a time. Yeah. Do you want to go deeper into that 24 unit? Um, okay. So uh, what was the purchase price on that first, the 24? 1 million. Uh, one asking price million. of 1.2. What was it? They wanted, they wanted 1.2. We negotiated down to 1 million. It appraised at 1.125, um, which I think was low. 
Um, but it's good to make $125,000 a purchase, which not so bad. Yeah. 11%. (laughs) Uh, uh, How'd you find the deal? I have a option on my website that you can go there and you can video chat with me for free. I've been doing it for two and a half years. It's a, it's more than anything. It's an experiment. And I'm, I've just been curious. If you were to go to my website, broke is a choice.com broke is a choice.com broke is a choice.com. <laughs> you can go, you can click on the contact me page and before email, before subscription, the first thing that pops up is, do you want to video chat with me? I have no requirements for who can do this. I have no agenda. I just, it's an experiment. Will people sign up? And sure enough, I'm about a, bo- a month booked out on Thursday nights all the time. I've met a plethora of people through this. Um, and some of them I've done deals with. So this guy, he wanted to do single family homes. I helped him buy three of them in Fayetteville. And then one day he's like, I don't want to do single families anymore. I want to do multifamily. He brought me the deal. Uh, it came from a broker in town, but it was, it was not, not yet hit the market. And it turns out I knew the seller anyways. Um, but that was it. I, I, to, I tell everybody that I was looking for multifamily. He was looking for multifamily. He found me a deal, but he had no idea how to close it. And so I, once we had the property, I didn't really know, know what I was doing, but I knew that if we just kept pushing the envelope forward, it would close or that's the idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I do, I do uh, video <laughs> chats with people as well. You can go to road to family slash self storage call road to family slash self storage call. And you can, you can get on with me as well. And it's again, it's not, there's no agenda. I'm not trying to, it's just a, an easier way for me to network than going to a bunch of RIAs, uh, being somebody who's got a full-time job and a family. Uh, now you can't go to RIAs. And I can't go to, you can't go to RIAs right now anyway, because of uh, the COVID-19. But um, so um, networking is just, again, real estate is a people business uh, more than probably more than any other business, business I can think of. And, and that's really what you did. You know, you also, Um, how much money did you put down on the deal yourself? Yeah. Real estate is a people game. I tell people all the time. I don't invest in houses. I invest in people. The houses is is the super easiest part. Um, so we ended up, it was a 25% loan. So we needed $250,000 and it came out to just under $40,000 in closing costs. Um, so we ended up raising 250, excuse me, 280 and a little bit thousand across five people, five partners. Uh, our shares are equal to the amount that we put in both on the equity side and the cash side. So I don't make anything for running this property for my investors. We split our investments to, uh, equal to the amount that we put in. Gotcha. So I'm just so charitable. (laughs) So you put in about, uh, about 50 or 40. Um, I put in the, me and my main partner put in the biggest shares. So we, I did something, you know, it was my first one. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to mitigate the risk for my investors. Um, and I wanted them to take a chance on me. And so I gave up probably more than I had to. And so one, I didn't take any fees or, um, I didn't take any fees or any additional percentage. What, and the other thing I did was I structured the deal because I'm in lending. I knew, and you'll, you'll know now if you're less than 20% ownership on a loan, then you don't usually have to guarantee it. And so what I told my investors was, Hey, look, you don't have to put up any, you don't have to give them a social security number, nothing. You don't have to do any underwriting, but you can't take more than 20% of the deal. And so basically I structured it with two partners at 23 and a little bit percent and the other three partners at 18. Mm, so, gotcha. and then I put in 23% of the down, my other par- partner put in 23% down and the other three put in their 18% of the down. So I came out to, I want to say 66 
all in and theirs is like 57 or 56, something like that. Gotcha. And each somebody who's going to do the math, I'm sure. And find out that I'm wrong, but I'm close. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, if you, if you find that he's wrong, just go to broke is a choice.com. Broke is a choice.com. <laughs> Yeah, let me know. Yeah, let me know. Yeah. I love. I just want to. I debate for no reason other than to debate. Yes, yes. I know. I know. We're well, well aware. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, what's the business plan on the twenty-four unit? Uh, you know, this is a, this business is terrible for egos. It's a terrible business for egos, and uh, well, uh, this may come as a surprise, but I am prone to ego, <laughs> and. I, uh, I actively have to tr design my life in a way that doesn't let my ego get in, 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 in control. And so I, I say all that to say, you know, I, I'm playing the long game on this. What I'm not trying to do is go on there and say, I bought X amount of units in my first year, or I buy X amount of units per year. What I really want is to have an extreme level of confidence that I can run these things properly. And so the plan for me was this deal worked because it was fairly low risk, a little bit higher than I thought. And it had a, a concrete return. And so I said, you know what? I don't have to do a bunch of rehab. I don't have to do a bunch of value add. I don't care. I just want to get the experience of getting to the transaction because that's the hardest part is having confidence that, you know, you can close and return uh, and provide a return to investors. So preservation of capital was number one, making money was number two. That said, I think we'll probably year one's going to be tough year two. I'll be able to return 10% cash on cash to my investors. Um, we're going to go up in value. Uh, we're getting better tenants. We're turning it all around. So for me, the priority was experience because now I'm deadly and look, I'm 36. I got a little, I got 60 more years of doing this. Is how, you know what I mean? So I don't need to buy one a year. I don't need to buy uh, two or three a year. In fact, one a year would be good, but I think uh, this year is going to be tough just because of everything that's going on. Um, but yeah, the game plan with this was um, get it, hold it. Don't, lose money, right? Provide a good return on uh, investment to investors um, and just and just get comfortable with the experience. That's really all it was. So you said you're, you usually, so usually with multifamily, you want to do value add, you want to increase your... NOI. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> One of those numbers. Um, uh, but you said you didn't really do that. So how are you creating that... Um, extra income to your investors. So the, well, the place makes money as is, right? It was rented when we bought it. It was a return on investment when we bought it. So I said, um, well, one of the things that the guy did, it was self-managed. So I knew that was going to be difficult to compete with because, uh, but his, his expense ratio was high, even though he was self-managing it. So what I've been able to do is I've been able to go in there, install a manager and my expense ratio is actually less than his. Um, with, they with the know what they're so doing. The first, what's that? Do you think it's because they know more what they're doing? Um, I think when people self-manage, they see the they see the dollar that they save, but they don't see the dollar that they now cost themselves. Mm. Um, and there's also a cost. You know, he had he had a bunch of people in there that were friends, and so they were paying under rent because heartstrings and whatnot. When you have a third party property manager, not to say that we're callous, but there's less like, you know, I'm pretty sure one of the rent, you know, I'm pretty sure he was sleeping with one of the tenants. They weren't paying rent at all. And so, yeah, I, I have to pay a property manager, but at 10% of 24 units at $500 a pop, it's like 1300 bucks a month. Well, one of the tenants was paying nothing. There's half my property management costs right there by implying, by, by installing proper 
um, management. Mm-hmm. Um, all that said, we've also, we had a bunch of, I think average rent was just under 500, whereas now our average rent is 565. Well, that's, that's 15%. In some cases, 600. So in some cases we've raised it 20%. There's my, um, there's my value add. A lot of it was bad tenants that didn't pay. We got rid of. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was not able to go in there and do a big rehab and raise rents two $300. That was not the case. That was never going to be the case. Um, I knew it would kick off about 10% as is. I'm hoping it'll be a little bit higher than that now. Um, again, for me, it was, it was an easy way to deploy capital about a, a, across a few people that didn't really need the money. Mm-hmm. I could provide a return to them. And the idea is for me not to, I, I was not sitting here trying to make all my money on this deal. It was, it was like a, it was a base hit. Let me get in, <laughs> let me show five people that I can return them money religious, like, uh, uh, reliably every month. And then now they're all beating down my door asking for the next one. So I never care. This can sound so callous. I never cared about deal one, right? I'm always playing for the what's next. And so, but I can't do what's next until part of the, one of the biggest things I had a problem with, with this deal was being confident that I could close it when I was selling investors. So many people didn't want to take their first chance on me. Cause they're like, I don't know if you can do it. And I'm like, I don't know if I can do it either. Now I'm like, this is easy. Yeah. Now I definitely can do it. So yeah. when you go to investors for the next one, right. And you exude confidence, they're going to be a lot more confident to give you more money. Yeah. And so, um, and if I can do it on this deal, which was, uh, like I said, a base hit, once I find the next one, uh, I feel very confident that the trajectory is, uh, very high going forward. Yeah. This business is a snowball. Uh, I mean, it really, you, and it is okay. And we talk about this, the law of the first deal. It is okay to start small. It's okay to get a base hit, a, a couple of base hits and, and learn what you don't know and learn what it feels like to sort of be at risk and have other people's money at risk and not a lot of money at risk. Don't try and, you know, you're not trying to, to, to grab hold of that giant boulder and move it, you know, start building it and building small and, and the momentum will, will get you going. So it's hard enough to buy 24 units to try to go off and buy, you know, 200 your first year. I, what's the, for me, I ask, what's the point? Yeah. Right. Again, it's like a lot of it, a lot of times for many people, it's ego. Yeah. And that's how I started this conversation. It's like, like I have to make sure I don't get my ego getting in check. So if I can do the 24 and I can provide a return to my investors, right. It's like, dude, buy the big one next year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, buy the big, buy a bigger one the year after that. Like I have a long time. How many do you need? Right. I don't need 5,000 units ever. Um, and I look, I get bored of things. <laughs> um, and I don't like being beholden to things. So I'm always careful not to create, you know, the whole thing. And this is what I believe your show is about is freedom. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people create cages for themselves. What's Nassim? One of my favorite Nassim Taleb quotes. He goes, in order to become free, you must not only be careful not to become a slave, you must also not become a master. Yeah. And so if you go out there in your first year and you commit to these big projects and you got 500 units, it's like, yeah, that's good. Congrats. But now you've got a lot of people to answer to. And this is not a quick, that, 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 that's not going away for a long time. And you might find out you hate it (laughs) and you've overcommitted. You might find out God forbid the deal is not as good as you thought, or, um, you did it on the back of projections that aren't going to NOI or cap rate projections that may or may not hit now. So I like to under promise and over deliver. And I do that over a long scale, not just in a deal, but like I took this deal that was okay to see if, can I do this on an okay deal? Cause once I find the, now I know how to do it. I'm, I'm deadly. If I can, once I find that great deal, dude, watch out. Yeah. 
Do you plan to sell this property? Yep. Eventually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I don't think. Sorry. Go ahead. What? Oh. Do you have a time frame? Yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, no. Uh, the original time frame was five years. We have a ten-year um, note on this one. A ten-year fixed. Uh, fix at 5%. So we're in good shape on the debt. Uh, I may renegotiate because COVID-19 is lowering rates like a freaking meteor plumbing mm -hmm. to the ground. Um, so I may call them and say, Hey, look, I can refinance with somebody else at 4%. Um, or you can give me four and a quarter. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but other than that, yeah, I think we're going to hold it probably sell in five years. Yeah. So I want to, for, for some people who are maybe not familiar with the way that commercial real estate works, I also want to sort of illustrate the power of, of what, Alex is doing here with, with just a little base hit 24 unit. Um, you know, you're raising, you raise the rents from 500 to 565. You said about that. I'll, yep. I'll raise total NOI, probably not year one, but year two total NOI will go up 20%. Okay. So let's say, let's say you raise rents $65 a month on, on 24 units. That's, you know, uh, multiply that by $65 times 12 times 24. And then you take that, you know, the increase in the NOI and it's, uh, I don't know, it's, I can't remember what the exact number is, but it's roughly $20,000. And then you divide that by the cap rate at 8%. And you've just increased, A, you've just increased cash flow on the property. And B, you've just increased the value of the property by over $200,000. Yeah. So I did the math. So yeah, 18,720 would be an increase in NOI. Um, divide that by eight is $234,000. Um, and actually we bought this at a 234,000. Okay. Yep. Math checks out. Yeah. I got a calculator too. Yay. So, um, Good math, job. Boy. Math in public. <laughs> so, so 200 good to have a calculator. If I didn't have a calculator, we, I, it could have yeah, been any yeah, number. Yeah. <laughs> um, but $234,000 on a million is 223%, um, mm -hmm. which is not so bad. Plus, like you said, the increase in um, um, cash flow. Cash flow. And then I bought this at seven and a half cap. Let's say I sell this for a seven and a half cap. So let's say I sell it for a six and a half cap just because the world is so stupid, right? I mean, the rate environment is just stupid. As they continue to lower rates artificially, cap rates go up artificially. So even though the place is probably not a six and a half cap risk, it doesn't matter because the rate environment reduces that risk by the cheap debt. Yep. So even though I bought a seven and a half cap, if I sell it at a, at a six cap um, or call it a six, six cap, that's 288,000. Yeah. For the same for the same in increase in NOI, um, which brings us to uh, again at a hundred at a million dollar purchase price, that's a that's a twenty eight percent return or increase. Um, and then if you go to if you want to get really complicated, you, there's a metric called IRR, which internal rate of return, which is the money in plus the increase in equity plus yearly cash out equals total return. That's going to be that's going to be higher. Yeah. Um, so for a base hit lousy deal lousy deal. Um, we're going to make good money. And this is my point about ego, right? A lot of people will be like, Oh, you didn't do so well. It's like, no, but now I'm one year ahead of inexperience. Um, and again, like I'm 36, you know, I'm not super healthy. Uh, but I intend to live like another 60 years. So I got time. <laughs> All right. All right. So, um, what has been one of the most frustrating moments in your journey, um, to buy this? 24 unit or even after you've bought it. 
Um, there's been frustrations for sure. Uh, we met, we messed up on the way that the bank cat takes escrow costs away from us. Uh, I don't want to get down a big rabbit hole, but basically the bank takes a monthly stipend every month away from us in the form of $500 for repairs. Now we still have to do our own repairs that goes into escrow on their side. They'll give it back to us one day, but that's $500 out of cash flow that I lose. I cannot give it to my investors. It's technically still our money, but it's gone. They also take $715 in the way that they did the insurance costs. We pay the insurance company for year one, but we pay the bank for year two in year one. So that uh-huh. next year it can go into escrow. So that's $1,300 a month that I have coming out of cash flow that I've not been able to pay my investors. That goes to costs that are not external. They're, they're not fees. They're escrow. Mm-hmm. So my real rate of return for my cash, my investors is going to be like 5%. Cash on cash. Yeah. Right. When I get all that money back, it would probably be closer to 12%. Yeah. Because my gross total possible income is like 13,000 a month. Well, that's 10% of gross possible income that Mm -hmm. I lose. So that was something that we just didn't account for. Um, And we, if we had, we could have planned around that better. And that's, it just comes down to experience. I could have planned for that better. Um, We should have had more money in, um, and we should have, we were undercapitalized. I wish I had 30 grand to, to, to do a lot more rehab, just sitting there. We could have paid it. We could have just sat on it and paid investors during tough times. Like that would have been easier. And we could have repaired the property without being so tight, but that's just an experience problem. And um, other than that, the properties, honestly, it's been uneventful. We knew what it was. When we bought it. It's a casual property. There's nothing too exciting. It's not very good looking. It's not photogenic. It's just, you know, set it and forget it. The property managers get in there and doing his thing. Um, and that's what I wanted. I wanted something that wasn't going to, um, I have another buddy who bought a 16 unit and he calls a property manager every three days asking for data, 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 data. Cause he just stresses about it so much. And it's like, dude, why'd you do this to yourself? It's yeah. not, it doesn't make that much money. It doesn't make that much money. That's worth being miserable for. Yeah. Yeah. So and for me, I, I'm lucky that the, I traded ex- outsized returns for peace of mind right from the start. Yeah. And what could you, so really the only way that you could have gotten away from that escrow problem with the bank was just to be, have a larger, larger reserve that the bank could look at. Yeah. So, you know, and this is something I know and everybody, you can tell people till you're blue in the face, but this is the number one rule. The number one reason why businesses fail is undercapitalization. Always every business um, I'm being a little, okay, maybe not, but Almost every bit. The number one reason is undercapitalization. And I would, and, and so go in with more reserves than you think you need, because even if like everything's working fine, right. But it's like, ugh, I'd rather give my investors, I'd rather have the money to put the $1,300 back into the, to the deal every month and make up for those escrow costs and let the bank pay us back later than not have them and be like, yeah, we got to eat it. One day we'll get paid back. Yeah. Right. It's just poor planning. Yeah. Um, the other thing is I took five people that have never done this before. Now, part of that, that's ego. Part of that though, uh, I'm of the opinion that nobody learns anything in this world unless it's painful ever. So I like to put some pain on myself because if I had somebody come in that was well experienced, right. They wouldn't let me make a lot of these mistakes, which sounds good. Right. But then I'm, but then I'm a, now I have a crutch. Now I have yeah. a handicap and I need that person to prevent me from making the mistake. I wouldn't have learned those mistakes because he would have prevented me from making them. So what I could have done was brought somebody in with more experience. And a lot of people should do that. Right. But I also know that there's a cost to that. If you bring in somebody experienced, they might've been like, 
you know, ah, that, you know, we wouldn't even do this deal. We do some other easier deal. It's like, yeah, but now I don't learn. So part of that is a balance of ego and putting yourself in a position where you're not propped up by some, you know, umbrella of safety. And then you don't get to learn the tough lessons. The tough lessons is what makes you good. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Another Nassim, another Nassim quote, <laughs> what I learned on my own, I still remember. Yep. yep. <laughs> uh, so uh, you've just executed your first flip. Uh, as, as you mentioned at the beginning, um, and uh, especially you've executed in the midst of a global pandemic and an economic meltdown, uh, the likes of which we haven't seen in uh, almost 100 years. And uh, sounds like a great time to, to get into, to do a flip. How'd it go? Uh, flipping is easy. Dot <laughs> <laughs> com. <laughs> so um, I put the flip on my, on my, can I, can I self promote my YouTube here? Sure. I'm really, of course really working can. on YouTube. My, uh, my YouTube is, um, I put the flip on the YouTube because it combines my two hobbies, videography and real estate. The, switching to flips is, is a, that's a high level talk. I could go, I, I'd have to deep, really deep dive. One of it is I wanted something more active, right? Rentals are fun, but I mean, the rent comes in on the first property manager does all the work. There's no, there's nothing to talk about. Right. And that's good. But how much did that do you need something to do during the day? And so I was bored of my job. So I was like, let me go flip this, these houses. I have, I had all the resources to do rehab and I had the experience. So it kind of lent itself to, um, to doing, to, to using those skills while doing something a little more active. And I got to use my, my, my video. So it was a co combination of a lot of reasons, um, that I switched to flipping as far as COVID-19, you know, it's really, really important that people start to realize that 2008 made us talk about the economy as if it was systemic because the real estate crash in 2008 was systemic, but real estate is not systemic. Real estate is highly regional, highly regional, mm -hmm. like Reno and Las Vegas, different markets, Nye County and Clark County, totally different things. And yet 30 minutes away, totally different. So when you say the biggest, the worst pandemic in a hundred years, I say, yeah, in Las Vegas, but not here, not here in North Carolina where nobody noticed. Yeah. Right. So it's important we, that we, I don't know. I think that the whole, the voice of people talking about real estate is going to change because everybody talks about it systemic because that's what we've been doing for 10 years. And I think that's going to, I think it's going to fade. And I think it's yeah. going to be a lot more regional that said, Oh, sorry. Get, get it, Brittany. No, I was just, um, I was just going to say like, uh, one of the reasons that at least I think that you, and then we also have two houses in Fayetteville, why we've invested there is because the market is fairly, uh, flat. It doesn't, it's not affected by things in the way that, you know, stuff is here because we, you know, we are a tourist based economy and this thing is, is affecting that. So it is going to affect our, our real estate market. Once people, um, start, you know, not if, if unemployment continues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I was really just agreeing with you. <laughs> there you yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, hundred percent. Um, uh, it, it's highly regional and Las Vegas and, and Fayetteville couldn't be different markets. So, uh, and, and part of the reason that Fayetteville is insulated from some of these um, economic calamities is because it's a military base, right? Nobody in the military is getting a pay cut right now. I guarantee you. Um, uh, so the guy that bought my property is, uh, uh it was a VA loan as a VA, it was a, as a soldier, he's PCS into the area. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, I bought it, it was sold day one for full asking price. 
And then the calamity hit and he's like, Hey, I need an extension. So we had to wait 30 days, about 50 days actually. And then we closed business as usual. So it was a little stressful, but I'm starting the second one today. Actually, we started demo today. I, I, well, look, it's complicated. I, it, yeah, there's a higher risk, but there's not, there's always, there's always risk, you know, yeah. um, there's always risk. So yeah, I'm not too worried about, um, about the pandemic. Uh, my skill sets, you know, people are still going to buy houses. They're still going to buy houses. And so some people are pretending like the, like the world, a lot has stopped, but the world hasn't stopped. Not really. Right. Yeah. Like this car accident still, because a lot of people are driving, right. There's still people out. They're still doing stuff. Um, yeah. and I think, um, and like you said, you know, none of the pain has happened yet. Nobody's really missed that many mortgages payments yet. So I, I could be completely wrong and, and things could get worse, but, um, I don't, I personally don't foresee that. So I'm moving mm-hmm. forward with flipping business. business. I'm, I'm looking at a scale. Yeah. I, I, you know, my, and I could be wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm not an economist. Uh, my, my feelings on the next 12 to 18 months and, and we can get it in this, uh, that's sort of how I'd like to end the show at some point. We don't need to dig into this deeply now, but people are, are waiting. They're thinking that there's going to be an instant feedback, uh, on what's going on in the economy as far as what's happening in the housing market. Um, and there's not there's, there's going to be lag. There's people aren't losing their, people aren't selling their houses or not losing their houses right now because there's still unemployment. There's still government stimulus coming. Um, you know, people, it's, it's going to take time before people, and maybe it won't happen. Maybe, maybe things will recover and, and, uh, we'll click, we'll keep plugging along and, and things will return to normal, but there's going to real estate will lag the economy because as, as people lose jobs, they have some people, they've got unemployment, they've got reserves, they've got time before a bank's going to take back their property. So everyone, everyone's like, Oh, you know, real, why are real estate? Why aren't there's all these people who've been waiting around since 2010 for, for property prices (laughs) to drop again, you know, and, and because they want to time the market, you know, and they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And so many of them like, all right, it's happening. Why aren't, why aren't prices dropping? And said, so, well, you know, a lot of reasons, uh, but also, yeah. but also give it time. <laughs> I call it the lake of liquidity. So when you see the stock market crash, the stock market is the most liquid um, exchange of behavior that we have, right? It's a measurement of human behavior. And so when you're fearful, you can go right to the stock market on your phone and sell, right? It's the most liquid real estate with debt is the least liquid. I, I think maybe gold, right? Even that's easier, right? With real estate, you need seven people to get together to sell a house between title, recording, realtors, lenders, buyers, sellers, agents, like you can get a slew of people together, a ton of paperwork, liability, loans, right? It's a big deal. And so it's highly illiquid. And so what you're saying is exactly right. And people, well, they have, well, they don't understand how the system works, right? In 2008, it was the same thing. 2007, stock market crashes late in the year, right? 30% in like a day in a week, right? AIG went bankrupt in a day. I mean, it was ridiculous. Okay. But the, the real estate market didn't hit the bottom until 2010. It wasn't until 2010 when we hit the bottom. And then it wasn't until 2011 or 12, right? Cause consumer confidence trails, um, the economics. So right now what you're looking at, Oh, well, hang on before I get my, th- so 2012, we hit the bottom. It wasn't until 2000, or 2010 hit the bottom. 2012, we started buying again and the foreclosures. And again, it was dis- 
disproportionately affected real estate in 2008 because it was in the mortgage-backed securities. Uh, There's a poison in the way that they were rating. So it was like, it was, it was higher level. Okay. So in 2012 to 2015 is when the banks started unloading these foreclosures. So the, so in 2007, the market hits and the last of the foreclosures don't come off the market until 2015. Right. Yeah. It was a, it was a, it was an eight year undoing. Um, and so people now, right. They haven't missed mortgage payment yet. Not one. And so what's going to happen is you got to miss four payments before they finally default foreclose, right. Default, you miss a payment foreclose. You got to miss three or four, right. Cause they're not going to even in 2008, they're like, no, 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 no. You can't go off and take those person's house right away. You got to give them some time. And they did forgiveness and all these other things. So you're going to have to miss four or five payments, three, four, five payments before they'll actually foreclose. Then the bank has to get you out because people don't just leave their house because you told them to, right. You got to get them out in many cases. Then they got to like fix the safety issues. They got to get on their books. They got to decide what they're going to do with it. Right. They're going to try to sell the note to another bank when they can't do that. They're going to decide, okay, we'll offload it on the, on the, on the, on the primary market. Well, then they decide what year, because because we we have to manage we have to manage losses by year because we have investors we can't just show all these massive losses we have to we'll spread them out we'll take years to undo this so eighteen to twenty four months before you start seeing the first of this and let me be clear we haven't missed any payments yet so eighteen to twenty four months from not yet <laughs> yeah and I do not think it'll look like two thousand eight in any way I think it'll be much different and the way that the um, Federal Reserve is behaving I think they're going to bail a lot of people out which means well, my personal opinion is I don't think we're going to feel much pain from this really at all. I think we're going to kick that pain down the, kick the can mm-hmm. down the road and uh, the pain is forthcoming. So if you're waiting around to see real estate prices drop, I think you're, you're going to wait a long time. You'll see a measly dip. It'll be spread. It won't be like 2010 where it's like everyone's terrified of real estate. And then, oh, look at all these, but look at all these prices, houses that I was buying, you know, I was buying them at 30% of value. Um, that's not going to happen. So I do not believe. And rates are going to stay artificially low. I know, I know I'm going saying a lot of stuff right now. Rates are going to stay artificially low. So some, in some instances, um, people will be able to refinance out of their uh, loans that they should default on, which again, causes problems down the road. But I do not foresee this as a big buying event. I see it. Mm-hmm. And if it is, I, I think you're hundred percent right. It's going to be two years from now and it'll be spread out more than it was in 2008. Yeah. Well, and it'll probably be again, more market-based the vacation, oh, yeah, that the too. vacation markets are probably going to take the biggest hit would be my, <laughs> my guess. I might be wrong, but depending on where they no, are, that's not a, it's not a bad guess. The other thing is in addition to being regional, this is going to be, this is going to be an inequality problem. Like we've never seen. Well, I shouldn't say that. Not like we've never seen, we've seen inequality problems, but, yeah. uh, but it's going to be an inequality problem. You know, we had an inequality problem in 1865 and they, it was an ugly fix. Right. So what happens during downturns is inequality is always exacerbated because those with no resources, ha- even if there is depressed ass, uh, prices, they can't go get them. And so like when the stock market crashes, the people who are broke, they're like, they didn't go off buying. The people with a lot of cash are like, well, I'll buy the bottom at the dip because I can afford if I'm wrong, but if it goes up, I win a bunch. Same exact principle. So if you're in 2014 or 2012 and you have the resources to buy a house cheap, you probably win. If you don't have a, the chances to buy a house because you're broke, it's like, dude, you, you only have gotten worse since then. Yeah. you missed all the wins disproportionate to people who, who, so you get a split. This is going to be worse because what happened is we sent everybody who doesn't make a lot of money home mm-hmm. and everybody who makes good money. Well, we sent them home too, but they're working for a computer. Working so they haven't lost now. any money. 
Yeah. Or the people who are, who are low income and still had to be essential workers and then maybe got sick and now have health debt. And there's that too, right? (laughs) You've got, yeah, there's that too. That's right. What's up, Holden? See your son. Oh, hey. <laughs> so, but it, so it's really important to, to note that by region and by market, right? So like my prediction is places like DC are going to skyrocket. So prices are not only going to not drop, right? They're going to go up because um, rates are low. They didn't lose their job, right? And now you have this weird cultural shift where people are going to be start, they're going to be working from home a lot more. So like this place better be nice. Right. If I'm going to be working home, I want to live in a nice place. So I think you're going to see A and B class properties go in bigger cities, go up in value. You also might, because of telecommuting, you might see some um, migration patterns that I can't foresee or predict at all. So you might see people moving out of cities um, because you're like, look, I can live in the suburbs or the burbs and make the same money now. So you may see some of that, but I think you're going to see places, dude, it's going to be highly regional and it's going to be income um, divided. So Places like DC, places like Raleigh, places where there's tech, places where people can uh, work from home on eight, uh, in white collar jobs in higher than average market prices. I think those prices are going to go up. And I think places where, there's, where people are service-based workers and they're living in below the average, not like low, but below average, anything below average, I think those prices are going to go down. The other thing, I know I'm throwing a lot at you. The other thing is you're going to see the spread of rates decompress along the qualification of buyers. So like right now, if you're at 850, you get a 4% mortgage. If you're a 650, you get like a 5% mortgage. It should be, and I believe it will be, is if you're an 850, you're going to get like a 3% mortgage. And if you're 650, you're going to get like a 7% mortgage. The buying power between 5 and 7% on a low income property for somebody who's already stretching is going to be brutal. And the person who's buying the bigger house gets more buying power. And so all these things that combine into... It's, it's going to be very difficult to talk about it because there's going to, you're going to get somebody that's like, oh, the economy is doing this. And it's like, which economy specifically yeah. and what income, I mean, one income bracket. I know, just real quick yep. and get my kid on class because <laughs> distance learning. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, so you unpack, there was a lot to unpack there and I, and I don't want to, and, and we could spend an entire, we could literally spend an entire show, uh, two shows uh, trying to unpack all that. Uh, my final question for you is, Alex, what are you doing over the next 12 to 18 months with that information? I'm going to continue to, f- I'm going to continue to flip houses because it uses a lot of strengths that I already have. So there's a lot of risk beaten out of the, of the transaction in that regard. Um, in my market, it looks like things are going to continue steady. So I'm going to continue that side of it. The second side of it is I'm going to le- lean hard on, on YouTube. I'm going to lean hard on a, um, on a more, I don't want to say passive, but a double, a second stream of income that's um, reliant on intellectual property. Because I think intellectual property, that's a whole other conversation, is going to go up tremendously over, in the future. Um, I'm going to look to buy more multifamily real estate but I will be doing it in A and B class properties in A class markets that have high appreciation. I'd like to buy an A class in Raleigh. I will pay up for it. I'd like to buy a five cap, something like that in Raleigh, DC, Charlotte, somewhere where um, the people who are renting from me are not in danger of, they don't work at the grocery store. They work at Microsoft. Um, 
So I'm going to continue to flip because my risk is beaten out of that. And then the things that I do that are new, I'm going to buy them with low risk because during the times of uncertainty, which is what we're in, I'm not sure what's going to happen. You're not sure what's going to happen. People, everybody has guesses and guesses are good, but we're not certain that's volatility. And so in periods of high uncertainty and high volatility, I want to buy less risky assets because weathering the storm is most important to me. Yep. The, the, the first rule of uh, investing is, is don't lose money. Preservation of capital is rule number yeah. one. Of course. Yes. And, and second like, rule is don't lose money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, even, um, you know, we, we've, uh, you know, we, we've interviewed a, a mutual friend of ours and you have actually visited him recently, Joe, uh, Joe Perlman, uh, who's, I love Joe. yeah, who's doing, um, you know, he's doing short-term rentals in uh, Carolina beach and, you know, and he's, he's house hacking one of them. And, and a lot of short-term rental people are, are hurting right now. And if they're undercapitalized, they're in, in, in deep doo-doo. Um, <laughs> And Joe, Joe, Joe's in an in interesting position, and we've talked about him a couple of times, is that almost all Joe's properties, to my understanding, were purchased with private money. Yep. And what that has done is he's not beholden to a bank. A bank's not going to be knocking. Yeah, but go ahead. Well, well, okay, but I know where you're going with that, right? But for me, I prefer the banks because the banks, you, make, you get a little less flexibility. Right. Because if you miss a payment with Joe's private lenders, it's like, well, yeah, he'll be okay because he can maybe ask for a favor. He can get a favor out of a month. Right. And buy him some time. Yeah. Um, Cause they're kind of in it together, but a private, but a bank, right. I never have to worry about answering. The bank doesn't care. As long as they get their payments, they do not care. And so I don't want to say one's better or worse. Um, they're different fits for different people. The banks, if you have a commercial loan, they can call loans, private money, private money. They really can't call loans. So there's, we could unpack, that's a whole other show. We could unpack the, the relative benefits, but let me give you an example of why Joe, I let, I don't worry about actually. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's like you say Airbnb people are struggling, but that's too systemic. So Las Vegas is going to hurt because people have to fly to Las Vegas to yeah. stay at an Airbnb. And then yeah. they're going to go to a casino. So the casinos are closed and, and nobody's going to airlines right now. Yeah, But the beach okay? people are going to come from short distances away from the beach and they're going to so, actually, so it's, you don't have to Joe's fly full. in. I'm Joe, not going to fly across the country to go to a beach in, in North Carolina often. In fact, people aren't going to fly. So they're more willing to travel by, by, by car. Yeah. So the person who was in Charlotte that might've gone to Las Vegas, they're like, well, let's go to Carolina beach instead because yep. it's a four hour drive. Yeah. So yeah. Joe, they opened uh, Airbnb back up on, Air, on Carolina beach and Joe's full. Oh, great. Good. Good, good to hear. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, but but to your original point uh, about people, this is why um, you know it's so important to really understand the macroeconomics of the larger economy, but then to know your your economy and what the strengths and weaknesses are of, of every area. Because Carolina Beach is North Carolina, but it's not Fayetteville. They're very different, and and what and and Carolina, uh, excuse me, uh, Airbnb in Carolina Beach and Airbnb in Las Vegas. Like it's not just the difference of two cities. It's all the difference, mm -hmm. right? Because the way those cities are fundamentally structured. Um, and like you said, the way that you pay for them, right? Uh, Carolina beach is not going to outlaw Airbnb whereas Las Vegas did. So it, there's all these additional pressures. And that's why when people are trying to design their systems, 
you know, they get lost in the numbers very, very often. So they say, well, this place I can buy it for a hundred and it rents for, you know, a thousand. So it's a 1% rule. So it must make money. And it's like, dude, dude, where is it? What's nearby? What's the, mm-hmm. what's the city doing? What's the tenant class that's going to rent from you? Like there's so many, what's the job situation look like? Where's the city going to be in five years? There's so many more things to account for rather than just those numbers. So, uh, I do worry about Airbnb and like, I'm Neil knows me very well. I'm not, uh, running around singing praises of Airbnb very often. It's a reasonably good business model and it, and it's, you can make money with it, but it has incredibly deep structural flaws that are forthcoming, uh, or the solutions to which are forthcoming. And we're not sure how that's going to look, but there's risk. There is risk. Airbnb is in its heyday. It's in its best. It's in its, it's having its best day. Well, three months ago now. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't believe that it'll ever be better than that than it was three months ago. Um, I, and so I, I don't worry too much, too much about Joe, but I, to your point, like if you're an Airbnb operator, yeah, I mean, odds are uh, you're struggling right now or yeah, worried. You may and you should have be. Look yeah. at other forms of. You better have time. Well, yeah. And you better have, if you've got the reserves, the reserves are what are going to buy you time to adjust. And if you don't capitalization, yeah, again, uh, and I guess part of the point I was getting to with Joe is that having private lenders, you know what? It sucks right now. I mean, if if he was totally shut down uh, for let's say three months and he's not able to send his private lenders any money at all, um, they're, they're, they're not going to be happy, but, their money's also not in the stock market. And so, and so, so they're, you know, they're not, there, there's something to be said for it's, it's not, a, it's not an illiquid, it's an illiquid asset, but it's also, you know, there's still a physical asset behind it. Yeah. So Joe uh, hit again, every private money is differently. Every private money is a little bit different. So that relationship really matters. And banks are the same way. Your relationship with the bank is, is yeah. important as well. Uh, how he structured his, um, he'll be okay. And the other thing about COVID-19 that is kind of given him a benefit is it's national spe- uh, spectacle news, right? And so it's like the ultimate alibi. Not to say that it's not a real alibi, but yeah. it's like, hey, look, they shut on Airbnb. And so everybody's kind of understanding, Yeah. right? So if it was just him having a bad month, you know, somebody might be like, well, Joe, you still kind of owe me my money, but you're like, ah, COVID-19, what could I possibly do? And people are like, yeah, we get it, no problem. Just having to, ah, here's 60 days, no, no, don't worry about it. Yeah, so yeah. there's some of that built into the way that this um, risk has manifested itself in that everybody knows about it. Everybody thinks it's a big deal, um, whether or not it is, depending on, is, is a whole, is yeah. up for debate, but everybody thinks it's the biggest possible deal yeah. uh, and that they're all worried about it. So it buys you some goodwill. Um, Joe's doing the right thing. Um, and I'm sure he has... I would be surprised if he didn't have reserves to get him through at least 90 days. Um, and Joe's deals make a lot of money. Uh, he's done it for, let me tell you something. If you want to live on the beach for free, go buy five Airbnbs down by Carolina beach. That guy has done so well. And he's an idiot, right? I love him. To pieces. I love him. To pieces. He knows what I mean. Like I, he's not really an idiot, but I mean, he's, he's like, I just bought these places. Somebody else pays for them. Right there. And I think he's got one that he paid 320 grand for and it grosses him like 90,000 a year. I mean, dude, that's stupid money. And so I think he's going to be okay. Uh, but, but if your point was, you know, how you structure the finances, like going after the cheapest, easiest debt. That's when people like looking for lenders. You're like, Oh, what's the cheapest rate? It's like, dude, you're missing the point here. There's more to it. 
And so how you structure your debt is incredibly important. I had private money for my flip and I had to tell them exactly what you said. It's like, well, to your point, right? If I used hard money for the flip, I actually would have paid out less than I paid to my private money, but I would have, it would have been interest payments. They'd have been hounding me. Oh, how's this thing going? Right? COVID-19. Like you just don't know. I didn't want that additional pressure on me. So I used private money. So now I have to go to a person, right? And be like, Hey, look, you know, this is taking, I don't know if you know, the world's falling, you know, so it's going to take a little bit longer. That person didn't care because it was out of their IRA. And like you said, they didn't, would have lost 30% of it in the stock market had it been, uh, had it been there. Instead, I saved them from the loss and then I returned them about 38% return on investment uh, or 80% annualized. Yeah. So they yeah. did very well on me. Uh, and so how you structure your debt, if I had done that with a private, if I had done that with hard money, I might not have been so lucky if the world really did, you know, go to, go to hell. So how you structure money is really important. Joe's doing fine. Um, luckily, but a lot of people, I'm sure you're right. A lot of people, they have hard money right now that got delayed and they're hurting or they have private money that isn't so forgiving. Um, so those relationships really matter. All right, Alex, I miss hanging out with you, my friend. I can't wait to, uh, grab a beer and, and, uh, and, and, just meander over all kinds of different topics and disturb all the patrons around us. Uh, so thank you uh, for sharing with us again. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go again? Uh, broke is the choice.com broke is the choice.com broke is the choice.com. Um, my YouTube is YouTube Alexander. I think it's just Alexander Felice. Um, I've been doing a, a drinking show about economics on Friday nights on there. I don't know what I'm going to call it yet. I need some suggestions. I call it better drinking buddies, but now I think I'm going to call it real estate investing, chatting about chatting with real estate investors over booze. No, something like that. No. Um, so if you want to know more about my, the high level macroeconomic talks, you can go there, the website, you can reach me, video chat with me. Obviously I spent a lot of time on Facebook and Instagram, Alex Scott Felice. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing today, Thank man. You guys. Okay. That was Alex Felice from broke is a choice. It was great talking to Alex as always and great having him back. So, so for you, uh, what was, this is a strange show. We're not going to get down into our four, you know, four things, you know, we've already sort of done that with Alex. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not really what we're taking out of this episode. I feel like. What did you take out of this episode? Um, well, one of the things I thought was most interesting that we talked about was that regionality. So, um, you know, uh, looking at rather than, uh, real estate as a whole, you know, the, the con- a state, the country, the world, um, you really have to look at it regionally, even down to the city. Um, you know, he, he mentioned Las Vegas versus or Clark County versus Nye County or those kinds of things. And yeah, they have completely different, um, economic drivers and, you know, what's going to happen there. So, um, and that's true all the time. It's not just true right now. It's just, we're going to see, possibly really extreme, um, results in some places like possibly here. Um, but anytime that you are investing, you want to look at the regional place that you're investing in and you're basing, um, that choice off of uh, partially off of that, you know, we're not going to do the same kinds of investments here, even when things were more let's say normal, um, then we, they're not going to be the same as the ones that we would choose to do in Fayetteville. Yeah, yeah. Basically we don't do those here at all <laughs> yeah. and we can do those in Fayetteville. Yeah. I'll even go so far as to say that, uh, real estate isn't just regional. Uh, it is, it's down to neighborhood. Like you can yeah. dig, you can dig yeah. into a neighborhood, uh, and you can find out 
what the median income of that neighborhood is. And right now, if the if that in if that neighborhood the median income is below about forty five thousand dollars, that neighborhood is 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 being affected much differently by this crisis than a neighborhood where the median income is sixty five thousand, yeah. uh, as as Alex was pointing out. Um, so really, you know, and you can I'll I'll give this up. You can go into citydata.com and you can pull up a map of a city, any city in America, almost any city in America. There's some uh, like rural, really rural areas that don't have great data, but you can dig in, you can go in neighborhood by neighborhood. You can click on a map and you can see what the median income uh, of that, uh, of that uh, neighborhood is. You can find out what the uh, unemployment rate is right now in that neighborhood and how it compares to the rest of the city and the rest of the state and things like that. And, uh, those are the things you really want to start really digging down into and find out, you know, somebody just tells you, Oh yeah, we got to, uh, you know, you can buy this, uh, uh, B class property and you're going to get an 8% return. No run away. Uh, find out more. What is driving that return? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, what did you take away from this interview? Uh, you, you, excuse me, uh, that you learn from, you learn from pain. Uh, and I, and I don't, you know, Alex is being, uh, a little dramatic there, but I think that for me and, and learn by doing, mm-hmm. um, so many people are, you know, when they're looking at real estate and, uh, they are, they're paralyzed, paralyzed by fear mm-hmm. and, you know, the reward is on the other side of some risk. And if you can find a way to lower that risk, um, that makes it less scary, then there's the chances are you're going to do it and you're going to learn from it. Um, we've done that. Um, I've seen countless other people. Alex did it with his, uh, 24 unit. Would Alex have, have felt comfortable buying that 24 unit if he had never bought a, uh, a single family home, a single home board. Yep. You know, we, uh-huh. we, at the time of this interview, we have just interviewed, um, and we've probably released our interview with Alan Hill and Jimmy Johnner, uh, who both, who basically just did that and they jumped straight into it. Um, but they were also guys who had, uh, a lot of resources and a lot of experience in as contractors. Yeah. Uh, so it, it made them feel more comfortable in order to proceed. So yeah. anyway. All right. Once again, that was Alex Felice from brokeisachoice.com. Uh, we're doing this all again next week. Let's, Let's hit, hit the, the road. road. Bye. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, If you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.